Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. All right, first of all, before we start talking football, I think uh, both of us, not to speak for you, Greg, but both of us want to thank every single solitary veteran out there on this Veterans Day. Uh, That is one job that there's no way my ass would do. I'm not tough enough mentally or physically. So uh, thank you to all of those who provide my freedom for me. We appreciate you. We love you. And uh, thanks for everything that you do. Uh, Speaking of that, Nick, speaking of that, veterans and active duty military it's always veterans day at bsj every since the day we started active and uh and veterans um get free subscriptions to bsj so you just need to go over there go underneath subscriptions look for military memberships fill out the form there uh you know provide proof of service at some point but other than that you're free you're welcome and Come on over to BSJ. It's great stuff. It's the least we could do. The least. The least. No doubt about that. All right, let's get to to the non-serious stuff now, football. The latest you're hearing about Odell Beckham Jr., Greg? Uh, Pretty much what everybody else is reporting, that he's going to take a couple days. um, To to my reaction to that is um, uh, piss off. Like, seriously? Like, what are we waiting for? Like, what do you need? You're not The Bachelor. All right, you're damaged goods. You know, two different teams got rid of your butt. Like, if you have an offer, it shouldn't really take that much time. To me, and, and I retweeted this last night from um, Jeff Swartz, the former offensive lineman, who's a great follow, um, if you're not following him on Twitter. Uh, he said, so he doesn't have any good offers then. That's the way I read it. Like, if, if, if Odell Beckham Jr. had a good offer, a no-doubt offer in terms of situation and money, he would have already decided. And uh, now by creating more time, you're hoping somebody ups the offer and makes it a no doubt decision for you. Sure. Sounds like to me, it's a lot of the same offers, uh, you know, one year around minimum. Um, and he's looking to maybe, maybe get somebody to, to step up a little bit more, but uh, yeah, that th- there's no reason why Beckham for this season should be taking any longer than it already has. I have two thoughts. The first thought is it it doesn't really bother me. And I've seen a lot of people that had the same reaction as you did. And I understand it. I understand that opinion. I understand people saying, oh, he's all about himself. I've had tough decisions in my life professionally over the past five years. And I've got to tell you, I'm one of those people that 
takes a lot of time. I'm not one of those people that says, yes, this is me. This is what I'm going to do. And so, you know, I, from my point of view, I can understand somebody saying, man, this is a pretty tough decision. Like you've got Belichick with the Patriots and what's going on there. And, and Mac Jones, young quarterback, somebody that you might be able to preach stability to, like we talked about. Then you've got Green Bay, Kansas City. I mean, that's a very difficult decision. You know, you've got Rodgers, you've got Mahomes, you've got Reed, you've got LaFleur, two teams that you could argue could get to the Super Bowl. You've got the Saints, where he's from. It's it's his home, Baton Rouge, and playing at LSU. So, I mean, I don't mind the guy taking a little extra time. I, I couldn't care less, frankly. I think this is a big-time decision. Look at what's happened to him the past couple of years. As you said, he's damaged goods. This decision is going to tell Beckham what he's going to be the next three or four years. If he gets this decision wrong for any reason, he's going to have a really tough time finding a contract in the offseason that will be multiple years. I don't have an issue with it. The second Nick, thing I, I hang on, let me just let me just say something to that. And yeah. and I respect your opinion on that. And I understand you and I are in the same boat that like, you know, when we have decisions to make about our futures, we take a lot of time. I mean, I remember when I decided on Sports Illustrated, which um, was not a good decision. I took a lot of time and a lot of different meetings. However, you know, you and I are trying to figure out the futures for ourselves, our wives, our kids. You know, it's not like we're making bank. All right. Odell Beckham Jr.'s already made his money. He's he's made uh, enough money for future generations of Beckhams. It's not about that. It's a completely different type of decision. And it shouldn't take very long. Basically, the way these decisions work, like it's similar to free agency. You know, what happens is the clock strikes midnight, you get the offers, your agent who you pay goes through it. And, you know, I'm sure you're similar with radio because some of you guys have agents. Um, they present the offers. They say what the pluses and minuses are. They say they give their recommendation. And then, you know, you you think about it for, all right, maybe a night sleep on it the next day, something like that. To me, this is not that. To me, this is, this is we didn't get a good offer, so now I'm going to drag it out two days. Look, I can understand. He wanted to take into, let's see, he cleared waivers on Tuesday. Tuesday night, he had his offers. It's now Thursday, and he hasn't made a decision. It's, I, I just, it's not the same as me and you making a lifetime decision. He, it's for the rest of the season probably. Yes, it could set him up. It could hurt him. But really, it's not going to amount to all that much as far as his future, his bank account, all that stuff. To me, this is more self-created drama. And if I'm the Patriots, and I think you're going easy on him because you really want him on the Patriots. But no. if I'm the Patriots, I'm being like, no, it's got nothing to do with that. I'm going to no, no, stop you there because I'm not, that, that's that's kind of a smack to me. Not because I want him on the <laughs> it was, Patriots. It's because again, I've been through I've been through different things negotiation wise with a lot of different you know, companies and stuff yeah, like that. Nick, but you're it, not a multimillionaire. I understand, Greg. But what I'm saying is this, everybody looks at negotiations differently. Everybody looks at decisions differently. I'm not going to judge an individual because he took an extra day or two. I mean, I, I again, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I look at people and I say, hey, man, it, it's a big decision for you for whatever reason, football-wise, personal-wise, whatever the hell, take your time. And I do think there comes a point. I mean, if this drags into next week, then it's getting a little outrageous. But I'm going to go crazy over 36 to 48 hours? No, I'm not going to lose my mind over it. It's not that big of a deal to me. But let me have some fun here. Let me put my tinfoil hat on. And again, I'm saying that for a reason. I'm putting my tinfoil hat on. 
It's crazy how about, time. How about this idea? How about Belichick and OBJ have spoken? OBJ is absolutely 100% interested in joining the Patriots. They're playing the Browns this weekend. And if you noticed Adam Schefter on Twitter, going back to before OBJ was even waived, Schefter tweeted out, well, if OBJ wants to get revenge on the Cleveland Browns, uh, look who you know they're playing this weekend, kind of hinting towards, hey, if he really wants to get one over on the Browns, he could join the Patriots. How about the idea that there's actual legitimate interest from each side? And they each know if Odell joins the Patriots this week, the story is going to be Odell. And the distraction is going to be Odell. And it's going to become the Odell-Beckham revenge game. And they both know that Odell, no matter where he goes, it's not like he's going to be a difference maker immediately. And they say, you know what? Instead of getting involved with all of this noise and distraction and crap, how about we just stall this thing? How about you wait a couple of extra days? How about you float some other names out there, do what you got to do, and then we can sign you when we're all fully ready for the Cleveland game, almost like a Friday news dump. Again, I'm putting my tinfoil hat on. But it's kind of fun to think about, you know, could that be part of the process? Could it be Belichick saying, Odell, look, we really want you. And Odell says, hey, I, I want to be a Patriot. And Belichick says, yeah, but this week we don't need the noise. We've won three games in a row. We've got a big game coming up on Sunday. We don't need you to be the show. So how about you wait a few days until, you know, this stuff kind of dies down a little bit and then we can come to an agreement. Okay, tinfoil hat is now off. <laughs> Nick, you do you. You do your tinfoil hat stuff. I fully support it. I just, I'm not doing <laughs> mental. I'm not doing mental hurdles or exercises over uh, Odell Beckham Jr. I just, uh, I just do not have the capacity to do it. And that just could very well be the case. But, you know, I, I would rather be, if, if I was the Patriots, I would rather be like, Let's get the deal done and we'll just figure out a way like, oh, well, he's not going to do anything until next week or something like that. You know, I would have done that instead of, too. you know, who knows? I would, too. Again, it's just tinfoil hat, you know, just yep. just a fun little conspiracy theory. Maybe they don't want to make a mess of this week and want to focus on the Browns and then they get through the Browns and then, hey, oh, look, OBJ's made his decision. Or maybe he makes it on Saturday or Saturday night. Oh, look, he's made his decision. And then they play the football game, and they get to answer all their questions after they play the Browns, not before they play the Browns. Speaking of the Browns, let's talk about this football team. Greg, we start on the defensive end. What do you see? I I don't love this defense. I, I, they have some nice pieces, Nick. Um, Joe Woods is the coordinator, guy I have a lot of respect for. Uh, I think there are elements of this defense that it, it is good and is going to give the Patriots problems. I just don't like the – there's a lack of discipline, inherent lack of discipline, and that's always good for the Patriots because you know they're going to be disciplined on offense and you know Josh McDaniels is going to target that just like he did last week with Carolina with a lot of you know draws and things to to take advantage of Carolina's aggressiveness. You know, Also, the the – pseudo screen pass to Ramondre Stevenson that went for 41 yards. That was just Josh McDaniels targeting like, all right, their middle linebacker, their inside linebackers are really talented, but they're not the most disciplined. And I have a feeling, you know, if we confuse them a little bit, we might get a bust. And that's what he got on that play. I see similar things with Cleveland. Um, individually, I really like what they bring. I, I think they're really talented. Of course, you got to start with Miles Garrett. 
uh, at left defensive end, which is going to be, uh, you know, and, and he flips sometimes. So, but it's going to be a good matchup with a Wenu. Um, I love Malik Jackson inside when he's healthy in the past, but uh, undisciplined in the ground game. Uh, same with a lot of their interior guys. I think that the Patriots could make some hay against their interior as far as the running. Jadavion Clowney is a guy, Nick, and we've talked about him before because he's come up and far as, you know, do you trade for him? Do you sign him? Absurdly talented guy. We all know that. Number one overall pick for a reason. He's still the same guy. You watch him play and he's just, he's going to do his own thing. You know, he, he, he leaves his teammates hung out to dry all the time in the running game. He'll hop a gap and sometimes he'll get there and it'll be a highlight real play. Other times, it's going to go right by him, and there's nobody in that gap just because he's trying to do, get his, and that's all he's worried about. So so that that is something I know the Patriots will try to exploit in this game. Um, I like Anthony Walker. I like, I like their middle linebacker. Um, you know, they've had some injury issues there, so it's hard to tell, like, you know, who exactly is the starter and what they're doing there. Here's the thing where I think the Patriots will run into trouble, Nick. Uh, Cleveland's man coverage, and they don't do it all the time. They're not like a predominant man coverage team. I would say it's about 50-50. They change things up. When they get into man coverage, I don't know if the Patriots can get open. I mean, it's that good across the board. I think they have they have good coverage safeties as well. They have you know Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, Greedy Williams at cornerback. Yeah. Uh, they're really good. That's why it's going to be very important for the Patriots offense. They got to stay ahead of the sticks. They got to, you know, this is, if I'm Josh McDaniels, I'm treating this as a CFL game. No third downs. We're not getting the third downs because that's when they get designer with their coverages and their pressures. And we don't need to be doing that. We need to stay ahead of the sticks. We need to be aggressive on first and second downs to stay out of third downs. And the other thing with this Browns defense, Nick, they tackle like crap across the board. Like yeah. they will blow tackles. You will get extra yards. So, you know, while talented, if the Patriots play their game and they're disciplined and they stay out of long yardage, I think they have a chance to be successful. But this is also the type of defense that could turn you over real quick and it can get away from you. Yeah, and that's what happened with Cincinnati last week. Yep. Joe Burrow had a couple of bad picks. Ward had his pick six. Denzel Ward's been tremendous. The last several weeks, he is quickly becoming one of the better corners in the league. Uh, he was picked in like the top five, so he should be damn good based on resume, and he's getting there. So Denzel Ward is is a really talented guy. I agree with you, though. When you look at this roster, and this is a lot of the problem, and we'll get into the offense in a little bit with Baker Mayfield, but when you look at this roster up and down, I mean, I picked the Browns to get to the Super Bowl this year. And when you look at that roster of talent, you say up and down, there's not a lot of weakness, right? I mean, there's just not a lot mm -hmm. of holes there. But the problem is they've got to go out there and execute, and they've got to be better mentally. And, and I think, as you mentioned, you know, low football IQ, some of the simple mistakes, some of the lack of discipline, the lack of tackling fundamentals, those are the things that are rearing their ugly head uh, you know, out there on a weekly basis, especially against good offenses. You know, you look at what this team has done defensively against good offenses. They gave it up against Kansas City. They gave up 47 against the Chargers. Th this team against good offenses, they've had their trouble. So I do think there are going to be opportunities there for the Patriots. They've got to take advantage of it. 
when you talk about being ahead of the sticks, my concern right away is running back health. You know, is, is Stevenson going to be out there? Mm-hmm. Is Harris going to be out there? If not, you're looking at J.J. Taylor and Brandon Bolden pretty much. And I, I think this is a game where it would be great to have those two horses, Stevenson and Harris, ready to go and fully healthy because on first and second down, it allows you – to open some things up with Cleveland being so distracted by your run game. I don't know if Cleveland is going to respect Bolden or Taylor as much as they would Harrison Stevenson. Yeah, it's a good, it's a valid point. And plus, you know, Harris and Stevenson are, you know, they, they've gained confidence. They're, they're in a really good rhythm. I think being able to run the ball, you know, not only does it give you an identity on offense, but you know, a toughness, but it helps out the offensive linemen and I think need a little help in the in the pass blocking area and keeping the defense guessing makes them a little bit slower so so it helps everything and I think you're absolutely right I think I think the Patriots between Clowney and the defensive interior I think they have uh, some plays that they can make I think Bolden can do it a little bit J.J. Taylor but you're hoping that at least one of those backs You'd rather have two, but at least one, either Harris or Stevens. They won three in a row because they've they've been balanced and and they need to continue doing that. Yeah, the one last thing I would say is you mentioned Miles Garrett. What do you do with him? I mean, we might see a lot of win versus Garrett. Is that a disaster waiting to happen? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I think the Patriots will do what they always do with these type of guys. They will, they will mix different protections, different looks, run at them, double team them, do this, boot away. Like they just, they mix it up. One thing we have known this season is that they will give the tackles a ton of help. Sometimes it helps. Sometimes it doesn't like the Hunter Henry strip sack last week when, you know, he completely botched that block and didn't give Win a chance, and, and Mac Jones uh, gets decapitated again. Uh, but they they will have a plan, uh, the normal stuff that they do. I'm not overly worried about Miles My- Garrett. You just can't have a full-out bust, and we've seen that at times out of this unit. Yeah, so pretty much what they did with Bosa and the Chargers going back a yep. few weeks ago, they pretty much eliminated him. So hopefully they can do the same with Garrett. Let's jump to the Cleveland offense. Your overall thoughts on that side of the ball. I love this offense. Um, I, you know, when when they when they are able to run the ball, and that means Nick Chubb. Uh, we know he's in the COVID nineteen protocols. We don't know whether he's going to play on Sunday. Uh, myself, as a you know, as a football guy, and I just want to see a really good football game, and I want to see two teams that I do think are improving and could be there at the end in the AFC. I want to see everybody at full go. That means Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, and it means Nick Chubb. And Nick Chubb is just, he's spectacular as a back. And, uh, you know, if they don't have him, it changes a lot of things. Because like we, like we said off the Panthers game, or at least what I said, Nick, was I now know that if the offense can only do one thing, the Patriots are going to make life miserable for that offense. And w- this is the first time that we've seen in a while, probably since Dallas, that the Patriots are going up against a team that when they are healthy – they they have great balance as far as the running game. That's where they run through. If they have if Baker Mayfield's dro- dropping back forty times, forty five times in the game, 
it's not good for them. He's going to yeah. make mistakes. It's it's going to be a disaster. It's the same way as the Patriots. I mean, if Mac Jones, if they don't run the ball and Mac Jones has to drop back 45 times in a game, it's not always going to go smoothly uh, for a bunch of different reasons. So, uh, But I love Kevin Stefanski's offense. He schemes up. He always has a great scheme. He gets guys open. It depends on what kind of baker you have that game. Some games he's on and he hits everything and he sees everything well. If you can get him sped up, then he starts making mistakes and he and he you know he pump fakes and he's moving around and he's making bad decisions. That's what the Patriots are are going to have. But I think what's going to be interesting, Nick, for me in this game is we all know we've raved about Christian Barmore for basically the last month, if not going back to training camp. This is the best interior offensive line in the league with. Uh, jo- Joel Betonio, uh, J.C. Treader at center, Wyatt Teller at right guard. Yep. Those are three elite top three at their position in the league. And so this is a huge chore for, uh, uh, you know, not only Christian Barmore, but the rest of the guys who have at times had a lot of issues holding up against the run game. And that's really, if the Patriots can make the Browns one-dimensional in this game, they're going to win again. If they can't, it's going to be trouble. And you've seen Cleveland. I mean, just in the last couple of days, they know their interior line is really good. Andrew yep. Berry's been walking into the facility with the money gun like he's walking into a strip club, shooting it at all the <laughs> offensive linemen the last few days. If you're an offensive lineman in Cleveland, you're getting paid. And there's good reason, because the offensive line has been really good. A lot of talent up front. I mean, even when Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt were out a couple weeks ago, they throw in Dearness Johnson, and Dearness Johnson runs for like a, a hundred yards plus in a touchdown or two. So this offensive line is is going to be a very, very difficult and tall task for the D line. I agree with you. Barmore's got to be really good. Godchow's got to be really good. Guy's got to be really good. And, and we'll see if they can do that. We'll see if they can meet that challenge. I kind of want to get into, and another thing I would point out before we get to Baker, because I want to get some deeper thoughts from you about Baker Mayfield, the screen game too. Cleveland's really good with the screen game. Running yeah. backs, running backs, tight ends. Uh, Stefanski loves the screen game. So the Pats need to be disciplined, and they need to be on the lookout for a number of screens because Stefanski will call them on Sunday. Nick, by the way, um, on that, and because I forgot to put it in a rundown, but the whole – you know, this seeing if Nick Chubb is out there, it sort of brings up the, you know, the how the Patriots pick Sony Michelle over Nick Chubb, same draft, same college backfield. And, you know, I was doing a little digging on it this week. And basically the 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 reason why they chose Sony Michelle was over Nick Chubb was because of Sony Michelle's um ability in the pass game and that he was he was really good at Georgia. And I understand I could see where they were coming from. In the pros, it was totally flipped. But I will say this, you know, basically, Sony, due to his injury issues, and basically every offseason, Sony had some sort of injury issue that had to get taken care of and it kept him off the field. He never had a real offseason to really get incorporated into the passing game. And so it's almost like great and complete on Sony Michelle. But I just wanted to bring that up because you were right to talk about their screen game. And Chubb's been... A, a big part of that. I mean, he's not the greatest downfield catcher, but he's pretty damn good on screens. Yeah, I tweeted out at Nixie Radio this week. I think it was yesterday. Uh, just because you brought up Michelle, I had this random Patriots thought this week. Like, you waited until the third round to draft Damian Harris, and look how he is playing. 
You waited until the fourth round to, draw, uh, to draft Stevenson. Look how Stevenson's looked so early. The fact that Bill Belichick drafted Sony Michelle in the first round, I think, tells you how much he loved Sony Michelle. And I can only hope for those people that are single out there that you can find somebody who loves you one day as much as Bill Belichick loved Sony Michelle uh, during that draft period. Because for I will him, say that, yeah, go ahead. No, just for him to spend a first round pick on Michelle. And, you know, that I versus the other guys they've they've utilized and they've picked and they've brought in like LeGarrette Blunt and everything. Uh, it, it's just fascinating to me. Bill must have thought Michelle was going to be like an elite back. Not good, but an elite back to use that kind of pick on him. And I also think, and it's important in the context of that draft, and it's very similar to how they wound up with Nikhil Harry, is that the Patriots basically got to the point where I think that was when LeGarrette Blunt was gone. They basically didn't have... There was a lot of stuff going on, I think, in free agency. I don't really think they had a back at that time. Most of the time, like, you know, with Harris and Stevenson, all right, you draft Harris, you have Sony Michelle. And you draft Stevenson, you have Damian Harris. Right. I think that was the one time, and we've talked about this, about their personnel, how it fell down. They stopped succession plans. And that included at running back and wide receiver, where they basically got into a spot where they were like, well, we have to draft somebody who has the potential to start right now force because we don't have any backup so that led to them overdrafting at those positions all right talk to me about baker so baker um you know one one of the things i i just wanted to bring up and i'll be interested to hear your perspective on this nick and it's sort of an offshoot of a discussion that felger brought up on felger and mass and he basically asked the panel and the context of the question is important it's not Baker Mayfield today, you know, what have you. It was, the question was, if basically, this was the question of the way I understood it. If Baker Mayfield and Mac Jones were available in this draft, they were both coming out of school at the same time, available in this draft, and were going to be coached from inception by Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, which which quarterback would you rather have? And the entire panel, including myself, said Baker Mayfield. And of course this brought out the mouth breathers and the footy pajama Patriots <laughs> crew being like, oh, oh, troll, you know, nobody think. Look, Baker Mayfield went number one for a reason. The Patriots were entertaining, basically trading a half a draft to move up to get him reportedly for a reason. Look, I love Mac Jones. Everybody knows I love Mac Jones. I loved him before he was even on the Patriots. And I think he'll be great here. I think. But he has physical limitations. Baker Mayfield has a rocket for an arm. He can throw it effortlessly 50 yards down the field. And that's the difference. That's why you're drafted number one overall as opposed to 15th overall. And to me, it's a no-brainer. If if you know he's going to be coached by Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels from the time he enters the league, you would, in my opinion, everybody should take Baker Mayfield. Um, but... Some people didn't like my opinion on that, and and I was curious about your opinion. I would lean Baker, but I'm not as big on Baker as some people are. I've talked about him a lot on my show down here. Um, there's not a lot that he does that, to me, is like a superior skill. Like, yeah, he, he's got a strong arm. I don't think he's got one of the top five or six arms in the league. I just, you know, I look at him and I, I think he does a lot of things average to slightly above average. There's nothing that he's not a supreme athlete. He doesn't have a top three to five arm. 
uh, as far as, you know, processing things, sometimes he has some slip-ups. Yep. I think he was certainly, you know, he's drafted number one. That's great. Uh, but when I look at other number one picks, like I would rather have Kyler Murray for sure. I'd rather have Trevor Lawrence for sure. Uh, so I just, you know, I think Baker is going to end up in the same kind of range as Mac, somewhere between like 10 to 15 or 16 if you rank the quarterbacks. I don't know if Baker is ever going to make that leap into the top 10. I think they're all kind of in a similar spot. What, well, you know, it's difficult to say if you have Baker at like 12 or 13 and Mac Jones at like 16, really how much difference is there between 12 and 16? I, I don't know. But I think, you know, when Mac fully develops, he's going to end up in kind of the same range as Baker. I would not be surprised if Baker is, is slightly ahead of him. So that's how I would look at it. I think he's, I would lean towards Baker for sure, but I don't think Baker is great. And one of the things that sticks out to me with Baker, and, and he was able to do this in college, and there, there's no doubt about that. He had a lot of big moments in college. But as an NFL quarterback, he hasn't really been the guy. And what I mean by that is when it's up to him to make big-time throws and big-time spots for big-time moments, he hasn't done a lot of it. And if you go back to that Chargers game in the fourth quarter, Herbert versus Mayfield, Herbert made almost every single throw he needed to make in that game, especially late, and Baker didn't. And that was the difference. It was Baker versus Herbert, and Baker failed to make all the throws. There is some of that with Baker where – you know, if things aren't going great and you need a lot from him in a given moment, he's fallen short for the most part. I thought he played pretty well, you know, two weeks ago or you know, two weeks ago against Pittsburgh, whatever it was in the fourth quarter. He made a couple of throws, but I still need to see him be the guy. And I haven't. And so, you know, we'll see how it all kind of comes together. Right now, I don't think there's a gigantic gap between the two guys, but I would still lean Baker. Well, you're absolutely right in terms of like right now. And and this is part of the discussion that I don't think people understood the other day or don't, you know, don't get in general. Like I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about Baker Mayfield now. And, and, and that's part of the context in all this and why, right. you know, Mac Jones going to New England was a great situation for him because, you know, you know, at least for the first, the start of his career, he's going to get consistent coaching and playbook. Remember, and this goes to my discussion about every single young quarterback. I mean, look at Marcus Mariota in Tennessee when he basically had four offensive coordinators in four years. Baker Mayfield comes in the league. Hugh Jackson's the head coach of the Browns in his offense. We know how that went. He got <laughs> fired that year. His rookie year, you know, he get. I think that was his rookie year, 2018. Yeah, that was his rookie yeah. year. Hugh Jackson gets fired. That was a complete disaster. And your boy okay. Freddie then, Kitchens came in. Good old Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens. Good old Kitch. Get him, Kitch. Yeah. Get him. <laughs> Freddie Kittens was uh, his second year. And then they bring in Stefanski, where you finally – he's so that's basically three different playbooks in his first three years of his career. To me, yeah. you, can, you have to uh, – with any young quarterback, and I would say this the same way about, you know, it, Mac Jones, if the Patriots were some sort of epic disaster. Right. That, you know – Young quarterbacks have no chance when their playbook changes every year because everybody has to relearn it. The quarterbacks have to relearn it, like all that stuff, let alone put in Odell Beckham Jr. and all the other headaches that go on in Cleveland. Like, you cannot look at ba Baker Mayfield, and, and this isn't to you, Nick. This is to, you know, the mouth breathers on Twitter. 
you cannot look at Baker Mayfield now and compare him to Mac Jones. I, it's just, it's unfair. We're talking about if Baker Mayfield had the same opportunity as Mac Jones. Yeah. Coming into the Patriots, great system. You know there's going to be no drama. He's going to get coached hard. The fundamentals are going to be good. The coaching is going to be the same all four years. The playbook's going to be the same all four years. Mac Jones is in the better, best possible position. That's what we said at the time of the draft. Baker Mayfield has been put behind the eight ball like many other uh, young quarterbacks who have struggled. But you're absolutely right in terms of Baker. He, Baker is at his best, and it's it's the thing is it's not his nature, Nick, and it drives him crazy. And you see this with a lot of young quarterbacks. He's at his best when he plays within the structure of the offense. You know, three-step drop, five-step drop, make a decision, have your read, get rid of the ball. When he starts to pull it down and start looking all over the place and wanting to be a hero, it's bad for Baker Mayfield. It's bad for the Browns. And if you see that on Sunday for the Patriots early, the Patriots are going to win. A couple of things. I don't disagree with the very beginning of his career and everything you said. I will say now he's in year two with Stefanski. He's got one of, if not the best offensive lines in football. He's got the best backfield in football or one of them. And he also has a good amount of weapons. So I'm not going to cry too much for him now. Uh, but at the beginning, fair point. It's what's happening with Tua in Miami. Brian Flores is single-handedly destroying Tua's career because Whoa. the the nonstop changes of offensive coordinators having two OCs this year, the offense stinks again this year, which means they're probably going to make another change for next year. Mm -hmm. It is almost, you know, when you look back at Sam Bradford's career and his beginning with like six different coordinators in like the first five years, that's the path Tua's going down. So that sucks. And, and, you know, as far as doing too much and, and, and going off of the script, it's kind of what you see with Kansas City right now, right? I mean, it's kind of funny. I, I said this on my show this week. Patrick Mahomes relied on his instincts and natural ability to do special things to mm -hmm. make that offense go. And in the first couple of years, everybody was, oh, my God, look at his sidearm throw and his no-look throw and look at him running around in the backfield and extending plays and throwing across his body 30 yards downfield into coverage but somehow making it work. That's all good and grand when it works. But now, the way defenses are playing, Kansas City with the two high safeties, making Mahomes be patient, and as Ryan Clark on ESPN said it this week, making Mahomes be boring Mahomes doesn't like boring. And so now what we're seeing is this adjustment period to Mahomes being forced to figure out how to play on schedule within a system to be patient, to take the checkdowns, do this and do that. Because not only did Mahomes start to rely on his instincts and natural ability, so did Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. And I think Reid and Bieniemy, they have not been taken to task enough with the struggles with that Kansas City offense. And I respect read a lot but you look at their the fact that they can run the football when they run they're one of the top 10 running offenses on a success rate but yet they're like second to last calling run plays that team has no identity right now and it's because they've been just basking in the glow of Mahomes's ability to run around like a madman and make these unbelievable plays so when you take away Tyreek Hill and that explosion part of the offense, right? When when Hill last week against Green Bay has four catches for 37 yards and they score 13 points against the Packers in Kansas City, you take away Tyreek Hill and you force Mahomes to just dink, his dunk, dink and dunk his way down the field, he gets uncomfortable. And I think, you know, it's if you if you kind of 
played the game and you let Mayfield start trying to do too much and trying to do, you know, the fantastic, he's going to turn the football over. He's going to make mistakes. And so that's what the defense needs to do. They need to be really good against the run like we talked about on the inside. They've got to force Mayfield into tough third down situations, get a little bit of pressure on him, and see how he reacts to that. Because I think if he starts running around like a chicken with his head cut off, it's going to be a good day for the Patriots defense. I agree with you. And Nick, we have um, not not breaking news, but let me just throw this out there on OBJ. Uh, Diana Rossini from ESPN tweeted a couple minutes ago, there are teams who are talking to Odell Beckham Jr. that believe the free agent wide receiver will wait until the games are complete on Sunday before making his mm. final decision per Where's my league tinfoil hat? Where's my tinfoil hat? Who's oh, hold Wait, on? I, I have a tinfoil hat for you. While you're searching for your my first reaction was, yeah, he has crap offers and a paycheck this week to better fit under the Patriots cap, which is tighter than most teams. Tinfoil hat. Who are they playing on Sunday? As I said, he doesn't want to play against the Browns. He doesn't. People are looking at this as, oh, Beckham's being selfish. What about it's the complete opposite? What if Beckham is actually saying, I have to prove to the football world that I get with it, right? Tinfoil hat is on, but what if he's uh, yeah, not? What if he doesn't? Yeah, that? Nick. Nick, he's pride trying to prove that he wants to be on the Patriots to get into the culture. Yeah, no, that's what he's doing. But what better way? What better way? Right? Everybody thinks, everybody thinks we always talk about Belichick zigging when people are zagging. What if OBJ is doing the same thing? What if everybody thinks that OBJ is all about himself and he knows and he knows he's got to prove? What better way to prove to Belichick that you are willing to sacrifice by telling Belichick, I will not play against my former team this Sunday? I am going to show you that I care about the team and winning more. I don't want to be a distraction. I'm going to wait until after the game, and then we can agree, and then I can be a Patriot because I want to prove to you, Bill Belichick, that it's not about me because if I wanted to make it about me, I would play in this game against Cleveland, and I would say, screw you. I'd have five catches and 70 yards and a touchdown and say, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Tinfoil has to gaining credibility. It's gaining credibility yes. as we speak. So, yes, and my thought is this. If he signs with the Patriots, and whenever we do the emergency pot on that, <laughs> please start making your own tinfoil hat to wear <laughs> and wear proudly on the show because the tinfoil hat knows all. Yep, I'm telling you. Why would he wait until after Sunday? Why? Why? Tell, tell me why. Save the Patriots money. Save the Patriots money. Save the Patriots money and also don't be the distraction. If he, if he joins Kansas City, who cares? All right, so he joins Kansas City. He joins Green Bay. He joins New Orleans. The only team that makes sense why he would push this until past Sunday is the Patriots because the Patriots play the Browns on Sunday, which goes back to Adam Schefter's tweet at the beginning of the week saying, oh, if he wants revenge, I don't know if Adam tweeted that out because he had some inside information or if he tweeted it out as his opinion because, you know, the last couple of years he's been going back and forth at ESPN, which I don't like. He's an insider, but then he's also on these shows giving opinions. There's a blurring yeah. of the lines there. I, I don't know. I don't know why he tweeted it. But I'm telling you, I, I, it's tinfoil hat. It's got a small percentage of happening. But I think I think I could be onto something. I think I could be onto something. Uh, let's move on to the uh, game pick. And by the way, uh, Bedard is going to do a little bit more film research and then have his confident worried list on BSJ 
and also the final, final, final game pick. So make sure you check that out, bostonsportsjournal.com. Uh, Patriots right now minus two and a half, Greg. The over-under is 45 and a half. What are you thinking? So as of right now, I mean, I need to know whether Nick Chubb's playing or not before I make a final decision. I think if Nick Chubb is playing, I'm picking the Browns. If he's not playing, I'm picking the Patriots. Mm. Uh, I think it's going to be extremely close. It's going to be a field goal. It's going to go down to the end. Uh, remember that game a few years ago here. Um, I remember I was coming back from covering something for SI, and it was in the rain, and it went down. The Browns jumped out, and the Patriots made this furious comeback and, and won. I, I I see a similar type of game. I think, I think these te- two teams are really well matched. It depends on which team – can get the other offense out of what they want to do sooner. I like the Patriots' chances about that, to do that, especially without Chubb. But for as of right now, I'm picking the Patriots uh, 23-20 as of right now, but I could change that. I'll go with the Pats. Similar thoughts as to you. I mean, if Chubb plays, that really does change the dynamic. I'm going to go off of the intel that we have right now, which is it's pretty much who the hell knows what's going to happen. So I'll, I'll side with he doesn't play. I, I like the Patriots. I, I think they could take advantage of this defense at times. And especially if Chubb's not playing, I, I think they can, you know, get to Baker and, and force him to make some, uh, you know, inopportune uh, throws and, and make some mistakes. All right, let's get to the BostonSportsJournal.com member question of the day. Don't forget, $39.99 on the annual plan. Uh, Of course, with the annual plan, you get the membership, which gives you access to a ton of video analysis that Bedard does on the coach's film, direct access to him in weekly chats. What question do you have for today? So this is from Bromes2319. says, Greg, isn't a stretch of drop-off kind of expected for a rookie quarterback? Like you showed, the amount of dropbacks that Mac has had so far is equal to those of last year, but the college game is also a month shorter. The rest of the team is hitting its stride right now where he doesn't have to do everything, and hopefully that'll give Mac a chance to get right. So this is off of, you know, so we we talked about it a bit on, on the podcast on earlier in the week uh, in sort of that Mac Jones has hit a little bit of a lull with his play. I wouldn't say he's been bad or anything like that. I just think that he, you know, I thought against Houston and Dallas and all sorts of stats back this up. I thought he played tremendous in those games. The last three weeks, you know, not great. And we don't know exactly know what that means, but he has certainly taken not a step back, but maybe just sort of plateaued. Uh, I, I dug into the stats and I, and I found out that basically, you know, he played 13 games in 17 weeks at Alabama, had uh, like 406 dropbacks. He's played 12 games in 13 weeks here, including the preseason. And he's he's almost at 400. So about the same. And just the question of, is he hitting a little bit of a rookie wall? I think he might be a little bit. Uh, he's also, he only went over 32 attempts at Alabama before the playoffs. Uh, he never did. Here he's done it like five times. And he's been exposed to more hits. So, and the other thing with Mac Jones is that he hasn't had his bye week yet. The Patriots have the Thursday night game against Atlanta. If they can get through that and you have the 10-day stretch, it's almost, and then then they have a game, and then they have the bye week. Uh, they do that, and I think Mac Jones has a chance to sort of reset, uh, you know, recuperate a little bit physically, mentally, um, 
you know, this is a this is a big stretch for them through that time and the bye week. Uh, I think that Max doing fine. Um, I'm not critical of his play. I just think that the rest of the team has because they're they're their veterans have been around. They've gone to another level. This is like like Brome said. Yes, this is typical of any rookie, let alone a quarterback that's dropping back and having to learn a new offense and decipher defenses and getting hit by uh, blindside by guys. Uh, almost every rookie goes through this. They hit a little bit of a rookie wall, and then they push through it, and they're fine. I think that's what we're seeing with Mac Jones. I'm not overly concerned with him, uh, but a lot has been asked of him, and I think it's part of the equation. Should be a good one on Sunday. Patriots, Browns at Foxborough. Good old Gillette Stadium will be pumping. Uh, again, thanks to all the veterans. Of course, early next week, we'll be back with our thoughts on the Browns game and maybe, just maybe, OBJ if he finally lands somewhere. Again, I'm going to get that tinfoil hat ready. Everybody be good. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Be healthy. Until next time. 